Hello, hello, everybody. Um, live as live can be for the 50th episode, unbelievable that I've done any of these things, um, of the Texas Real Estate and Finance Podcast. My name is Mike Mills. I am a lender here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And this podcast idea is just basically to try to bring information to mortgage professionals and real estate professionals about the industry itself and, um, you know, kind of trends that are occurring and how to just kind of become better at your job every single day. So today, um, to help me with that, I am bringing in Miss Allie Cardi. Hello, Allie. Hey, Mike. Happy to be here. I even got uh, applause and all this kind of stuff. It's oh, like yeah. real production value we're throwing down. Um, thank you for coming in. So Allie, um, Allie is uh, older than 15, I promise, um, even though <laughs> <laughs> she seems really? young. She's doing her um, her community service and helping out old people today. So I appreciate you for doing that. But um, Allie is um, a, a Gen Z guru. Okay, so what is a Gen Z guru exactly? Well, these days we have a lots of different uh, people that we're trying to sell to in our market. We have the boomers, we have the Gen Xers, the millennials, and now moving into the market is Gen Z. And this is one of the bigger segments that's really starting to take hold of the real estate market because um, now, you know, more and more these days with the information that's out there, people are understanding the value of owning real estate and being a homeowner versus renting, even though as it currently stands, you know, when you look at the price of homes and the cost of a mortgage, it's quite a bit more than rent right now. But this market's changed and they're cyclical. And if you go back to 2021, um, Gen Z was... Uh, buying homes at a greater pace than their parents, which is the Gen X's. So I, I could almost be your dad, by the way, Ali. So that, that's kind of how all this works. Um, but because of that, um, I do think having Ali on to kind of tell us a little bit about what we can expect for you know our future clients that are coming down the pipe, which are these Gen Z buyers, um, what to look for, kind of how to market to them, you know, what they care about, all that kind of stuff. So, so let's just get kind of right into it, Ali. First off, um, I want to know, how a uh, 24 year old becomes a Gen Z guru. Kind of tell me your, tell me your path a little bit. Tell me how we got here. Man. Well, first of all, Mike, you're making all these jokes about how I am so much younger, but you have outbeat me in this podcast. I love everything you're doing. The whole intro major slay. Thank that is my word. I will probably use it a lot, uh, <laughs> but I uh, am so happy to be here. I love what you're doing. I love your whole setup. So I am thoroughly impressed as a 24-year-old with everything that you are doing from a marketing point of view. So bravo. I appreciate that. Thank you. Um, yes. And so Gen Z guru, honestly, I'm still trying to figure it out. All my girlfriends are like, what are you doing? But really, I am just hoping to bridge the gap between my generation and our industry. Right. Like you mentioned, we're slowly filling the role that millennials just had of be new to the home buying market. Um, I am 24. I'm actually having conversations with prospective first-time home buyers in my personal life. So whether it's going to happy hours, uh, bachelor wine nights, doing things with my girlfriends on the weekends, how can I help bridge the gap from the conversations we're having outside of work to bring them to the table in the mortgage industry? And so um, I grew up in a household. My mom and dad are both in the industry and I don't really think I would have found this niche without them being there. So um, I'm really thankful to be here. And I, alongside bringing home ownership to my generation, I also hope to bring, you know, career opportunities and more Gen Zers into our industry, because I don't think that there is enough talk at a college level about career opportunities, but really um, sparked this interest. I was at a conference back in January and it was probably my fifth or sixth conference. I started with Active Comply back in June. And I realized everyone knows mortgage. Nobody knows Gen Z. And so as I've sat through conference after conference, I was in California at MBA, Independent Mortgage Bankers Conference. And I finally was sitting in a, in a session that was about marketing to Gen Z. And I was like, goodness gracious, I, I can actually attest to this. Everyone's talking about their niece, their nephew, their daughter. And I'm like, I am that person. So how can I help our industry better understand what we need to do to market to Gen Z. And so from that conference, I spoke with, I don't know if you know, Kevin Peronio, he does a lot of great videos on LinkedIn. And I said, listen, KP, I, I want to help our industry somehow and provide a new perspective. What do you think about me doing these videos? Like, I know you do videos. Can I do it too? And he was like, yeah. And I was like, but I don't want to be this naive young girl who's already at the conferences. And he's like, just do it. 
And so I just jumped into it. And I will say, I totally understand any loan officers that are very hesitant to create video content. Um, I was so nervous posting my first video to LinkedIn, uh, but the industry was super encouraging and supportive, which I appreciate anyone that has hyped up any of my content. But um, from there, it really just spun into different video series. I started with surveys with 200 Gen Z individuals who participated. Uh, the population ranged between 150 and 200. I always like to say that. So, um, And I wasn't reaching all the underserved markets, but it still was a great representation of kind of where where I'm coming from, from a Gen Z perspective, you know, how to market to us, what social media are we on the most? What's the biggest obstacle between home ownership and you right now? 76% want to buy a home within the next five years. How can I help them do that? Yeah. Um, and so then from there, I had a lot of people that were like asking me to help them finance a home in my life. And I was like, I, I can't do that. I can connect you with someone, but let's have a conversation about it. Right. And so after the surveys, I really have transitioned into one on one interviews, much like what we're doing today, Mike. But I'm speaking with Gen Z individuals who either are prospectively wanting to buy a home or just bought a home and just asking about the process. Where can it improve? What was the biggest surprise? You know, how can we better help you as a borrower to make the process easier in the future? And um, it's it's just been really fun for me. So like like this podcast, this is so fun and it's been really um just a way to create content like you and I were talking about. And uh, it's really spiraled into something I'm excited about and hoping to see like a long-term effect in our industry as, as more people in my age group move into the home buying process. So your both of your parents were in the industry. What did they do? So my dad, I, he retired when I was born, so I didn't ever really get to see him do as much. Uh, my right. mom is a boss. She uh, was the breadwinner of our family growing up, but she worked she went through all these different, um, and her first, I, uh, then she went to AB and Amro city. I got to see her go through all these different roles, but so she was in the banking world. <clears throat> she is now she's with chase in their home lending division. Okay. Ooh, so, um, she's a rock star. She is just such a, she's paved the way and really encouraged me and supported me. And then my dad is also amazing. Uh, but either way, mortgages are just like, I, I don't know if you saw my recent contribution up to FinTalk, but I contributed to this financial literacy newsletter and I moved to Nashville in January of 2022 and I met these girls and I was like, we met actually through a best friend dating app, which is, oh, okay. wait, wait, so, hang on a best friend. dating <laughs> app. So like you're, you're, you're not actually looking for a date, but you're looking for a best friend. Is that how yeah. it works? So okay. it's okay. like, that's another Gen Z thing. I talk about this at conferences. People are like, how do you make friends in a virtual environment? I downloaded this app. I'll plug them bumble BFF. Um, and Bumble BFF. What's up, Dan? Bumble BFF. So I uh, downloaded it, made a group of about 10 girlfriends here in Nashville. And they're like, so what do you do for work? Like, they're all like, oh, I work in retail. I do this. And I'm like, oh, I work in the mortgage industry. And we're all just like, yeah. And so a month goes by and I'm like, oh, I'm going to a work conference. They're like, Allie, what is the mortgage industry? And I'm like, you got like, what? And they're like, what is it? And I'm like, it's how you finance a home. And they're like, Oh, I just didn't know. And it's like, that should not be a thing. We should know what the mortgage industry is. They know what the real estate industry is, but they don't really know like the idea behind financing it. And yep. so that was just a whole nother mind blowing thing. When all my girlfriends, we were out a, a wine night and they were like, honestly, none of us can understand what you do. And I'm like, Ugh. well, it's, it's kind of funny because I think in, you know, uh, you, you know, Kristen Misarelli, right? As well. Yeah. You're, you're like her, her yes, Padawan. And actually had a call this morning, um, talking about first home IQ and her next gen home buyer report. So <laughs> yes, yes. Brian. <laughs> Brian knows all about Bumble BFF. Um, so, you know, I, and I, I've actually interviewed Kristen before we've talked, she's actually been at a few of our sales rallies for our company, um, and spoken. And, you know, I, I always tend to see, when it comes to people in my business, especially, you know, the old folks like myself, we look and go, okay, you know, this younger person, what, what do they have to offer in this situation? Like, you know, how, how do they know I've been doing this? That's my favorite. I've been doing this for 25 years. You know, I know more than you've ever forgotten. Yeah. And the truth is, is that you have to constantly take on new perspectives because if you're going to continue to grow and you're going to continue to market and sell to the next generation of home buyers and 
people that are coming up with the means and the ability to purchase. I mean, there's there's a thing that's happening right now where there's this massive transfer uh, uh, um, transfer of wealth between the baby boomers and you know millennials and Gen Z because all of the baby boomers are retiring they're downsizing their homes you know they have more savings in retirement than any generation <laughs> beyond right now because they rigged the system for themselves congratulations to those guys but <laughs> but either way there's a transfer of wealth that's occurring and that transfer is going to somebody right it's going to end up with someone well more than likely that's going to be the either gen x millennials gen z so to not have an understanding of how to sell and how to market and how to um, create education for those people then or for that that next generation of customer you're really putting yourself at a disadvantage and so to be short-sighted and say that well because you're 24 years old how could you possibly have perspective well if you were going to go not to compare gen z to say dolphins right but let's just say i'm a marine biologist and i'm going to study dolphins well i'm not going to ask whales about how dolphins interact i'm not going to ask you know the 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 salmon how the dolphins communicate with each other i'm going to go talk to the dolphins right assuming they can speak yeah but, but the idea is that you have to get it from the horse's mouth you have to talk to that generation what you're doing is these anecdotal conversations that you're having with people in your sphere, whether it be your friends, people you went to college with, people in the industry, you are putting perspective on what it's gonna take in order for a Gen Z home buyer to wanna pick up the phone and call you should they be looking to be buy or sell their home or get a mortgage. And I don't wanna underscore the importance of that because just because you're not 50 years old and been doing it for 25 years, does not mean that you don't have proper perspective and can offer a lot of value to the conversation. So how have you been adjusting to dealing with that in, in our industry of having a bunch of, you know, old dudes come and tell you, what could you possibly teach them? That's a great question. And I will start off by saying, I think I've received a lot more support than I have, you know, like, Hey, no, not interested. Um, a lot of people have been more encouraging towards what I'm doing and kind of the the movement around bringing home ownership to Gen Z. So that has been great to see. Um, but I think ways that I have been able to overcome it is just showcasing instances where like people in my generation, um, like I in some of the different interviews or podcasts I've participated in, I've shared like we just have different tendencies or go to such as like I shared with Dave Savage last week we are not going to turn to Google. We are going to turn to TikTok. And so not until like people who are, have been doing it 20 years, um, embrace, you know, Hey, there actually is going to be change. Um, I, I, I don't know how to change their mind, but I could say that I could see them really losing out on opportunities with Gen Z borrowers. And that would really be my only like way to overcome that objection. I think, yeah. um, really just looking at my videos, seeing what I'm bringing to the table, um, one thing that I wanted to share with you today is I opened my phone um, to Instagram today, and this is going to be very real uh, content that I'm going to share with you. But I had a friend who sent me this Instagram reel that she saw, and she said, hey, is this true? And it was basically, sorry, I have music going on it. How much of a house can you afford? I know you can barely see that. Yep, but no, it basically uh -huh. says, how much of a house can you afford? Yep. And she sent it to me and was like, is this true? Then this actually, that was yesterday morning. This morning, she sent me something on you should buy a house as soon as you humanly possibly can. She's interacting with this content. She's researching it. So yep. those lenders, those leaders who are like, oh, I've been in the industry 20 years. I don't need to embrace social media. I don't need to attract Gen Z borrowers. You know, that's where we're turning. That's where we're getting our information. Um, so to the individuals who are a little less hesitant to jump on the Gen Z train, um, I think only time will tell uh, what where our industry transpires. Does that answer well, your question a little bit? Yeah. Well, you said something about the whole Google versus <laughs> TikTok thing, and you know, I um, I personally, so I I wasn't on using TikTok hardly at all. I mean, this was I have a daughter that's 15 and I have a son that's 13, and uh, it started off. It was uh, Musically. Remember that one? Yes. Okay. Yeah. So it basically started off as like musically. And so my daughter was like, they're doing all their dances and all this stuff. And I'm like, ah. and then it kind of transitioned over into TikTok. And the thing about TikTok is as an adult, right? I'm it, it, my initial introduction to TikTok was, okay, I need to start making content and putting stuff on there. Right. Well, with any social media platform that you post content on, it's also a good um, habit to interact as well, because that's how you, you know, 
get more, a little bit more eyeballs, traction and everything if you're interacting with other content also. And so the problem with TikTok though, is that you fall into those TikTok holes where you end up, you know, three hours, you know, down a rabbit hole looking stuff up. But I do find myself as a 45 year old man now, instead of going to Google and typing in something specifically that I'm looking for, I actually will go to TikTok and, and, and I've caught myself typing in Google because it's habit, right? I'm just creating a habit. I've already done this before. Mm-hmm. And then I, I scroll. I'm like, what am I doing? And then I'll go over to TikTok and I'll type in the same thing. And I've got 30 videos that I, I can now scroll through. And it explains it like through yes. a video. And yes. so I think another crazy thing that I've witnessed through TikTok and through my interviews is people aren't going to TikTok and typing in how to buy a home, but somehow the way, and, and some people are, and like some it's showing up on popular pages, but the algorithm behind TikTok, if people are talking about buying a home, if people are searching it, somehow TikTok is pulling it up on your for you page. Yes. So if it's top of mind for that prospective borrower and they're out there and they're, they're doing their own independent research, whether or not they're going to TikTok and distinctly typing in how to finance a home, it's going to show up based on hashtags, algorithms. It's going to show up on their for you page. Yes. Um, and that's the craziest part is I've started doing interviews. I've been like, Hey, are you guys like turning to TikTok to lurk, look at financing a home? And they're like, not necessarily, but now that you mention it, you know, it's all over my for you page because that's what I'm taught. It's so crazy. It's what I'm talking about. It's what I'm Googling. Yes. It's, it's really like turning into what they're talking about and, and looking at all the time. So the, well, the TikTok rabbit hole is very indicative of what's top of mind for that consumer. Well, the good and the bad thing about social media and, and, and anything on the internet, because again, the olds will say, oh, well, you know, they're, they're spying on you and they're watching your every move and all this kind of stuff. And, and you know what, that's true to a certain extent. Okay. They are. Um, and TikTok, you know, has a bad rap because it's a, it's a Chinese based app, you know, originally created. And then, and then, but then people don't understand how much information Google collects on you all the time. And, and if anything, the they're a worse <laughs> proponent of that than TikTok. <laughs> and so, you know, again, social media and what you see in your feed is what you make it right. Yeah. So if you want to see cat videos and you want to see, you know, goofy dances, then that's what you'll see. But like my feed is filled with real estate people, finance information, conspiracy theories, health and fitness. And occasionally I have a cat video bleed over because that's where most of my wife spends her time. And she'll send me videos from time to time doing yeah. that. So it is what you create and and we it gets a such a bad rap because of all the media attention around the you know the negative side of tracking your information and spying on you and all this kind of other stuff which again you know there's issues with that for sure but at the end of the day it's there so you, there's nothing you can do about it if you want to interact with the planet that's what you're going to have to do so and I think our generation is just kind of like who has my information at this point like everybody. we've grown up in a virtualized environment where like I talk to my dad my dad is almost 70. And he's just like, I can't give you my credit card information over the phone. I'm like, dad, yes, you can. Like I, I, I said it like, you know, and so Jesus been there's, 600 times. There's such a difference. And he's like, Alexandra, get off TikTok. I'm like, dad, it, it's just, it, that's how our generation is. And I think I, I did a survey that was like, Hey, does the TikTok, you know, um, correlation with China scare you? Like 57% were like, no. It does not scare me. I do not care who has my data because at this point, when you're raised from like nine or 10, getting your first iPhone, who, what data were you giving away at nine or 10 that they don't have today? Um, Well, you know, even, so, I argue with my wife from time to time about um, the whole idea of the surveillance state, right? Because when our kids were with their iPads, with their phones, we are constantly, I know where my daughter is right now. I can get on my phone yeah. and I can look and see where she is right this second. And I can see what she's been doing all day, where she went, you know, who she called. I can see everything, right? Yeah. So our kids have grown up in an environment of being constantly surveyed. And again, I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying that that's what it is. What it and is. you can't change it at this point. We're so far down that rabbit hole that there's no, there's no turning it around without some serious legislation and all that, which there's too many corporate interests involved that would be way against, you know, any kind of like lockdown on people's privacy. So your data's out there, your information's out there. And so the next step of is, of it is as a salesperson or anybody in a profession where you're trying to market to individuals, you have to embrace that technology and you have to be able to use it in a way that your customers are going to digest it, right? So if they're going to take it in, you have to create content, you have to create information that's available to them. So speaking on that, 
when it comes to Gen Z specifically, um, talk about financial literacy and how important it is. You mentioned earlier about your friends having no idea what a mortgage even was. So right. how important it is, is it for the next generation of homebuyer to make sure that they have a base of knowledge for all that stuff? Oh, I think it's going to be so important. And that's why my conversation with Kristen earlier today was so exciting for me because I think financial literacy is very lacking in my generation. Um, the fact that I graduated with a four-year degree and I have no knowledge of how credit impacts, you know, my longevity financially uh, or just what goes into buying a home, what goes into, you know, financing a car, different things that like should be talked about at a high school level, much less if I'm paying you to teach me stuff. Right. At least teach me the stuff that I'm going to need to know when I graduate. Right. Um, that's besides the point. I could go on. But um, I think that financial literacy is going to be really, really important when it comes to building trust with Gen Z borrowers. Uh, for instance, the two videos I just showed you that my friend, she's out there. She's on these financial. She's very financially savvy. And I will say about Gen Z, a lot of my friends and a lot of the interviews I've had, people are very frugal. People want to make sure that they're being smart about their money. Um, I don't know where it comes from, but there's very few of my friends that are thinking about buying a home, but also thinking about like the financial impact that that will have on them long-term. So my friend, she's a, a med student. And so she has a ton of student loans and she's very like just stressed about that. Um, but she also doesn't want to miss out on the opportunity to buy a home because there's all these headlines about low inventory. There's like all these big firms who are buying out real estate and renting it out. Yep. That's what my friends are seeing right now. Um, how can a loan officer or a realtor take the time to sit down and explain to them really what the financial benefits are, putting the borrower first, being like, hey, listen, maybe this isn't right for you right now. You know, you're about to apply for a school in Pennsylvania. You don't want to buy a house in South Florida. Right. Um, so it's putting the borrower first, but it's also like, hey, Blackfin may be buying a ton of real estate um, nationwide, but here's the timeline that would work for you. And this is why, you know, they're doing that and what the implications could have on our generation in the future. Um, financial education is going to be huge. And so every everyone I know, Brian's on here and Greg and Dan, I think a lot of us have a similar goal to bring financial education at an earlier stage and really use social media as a platform to have those conversations. Um would you say with your generation that when it comes to so the financial literacy is important a hundred percent, but you know, it, from, from where I'm at or, you know, in my, back in my day, um, we would have a conversation, we'd have coffee, we'd go meet with, you know, somebody would call and we'd talk to them for an hour. But I think nowadays, and correct me if I'm wrong, there has to be a certain level of trust that's already been established with that individual before your generation is going to pick up and make the phone call. Right. Because if they, if they've never seen me online, if I'm not recommended to them by their parents, right. Then the odds of me getting that phone call or them touching bases next to zero. But on the flip side of that, if you know, you have two opportunities, you have mom and dad recommend you because you've been helping them sell their house or do your mortgage for 20 years or whatever, right. Or they've seen you on TikTok or they've seen you on Instagram or they've seen you on, you know, I noticed the younger people are moving over to Facebook these days, by the way. Um, yes, they've, I, well, unfortunately I get my 15 year old daughter's friends that want to friend me on Facebook. I'm like, oh, I don't think so. But, <laughs> but, but the idea is that the more they see you in different places, offering a little bit of information, giving value, right? You're not at, you're not up there saying, call me now and I will be your mortgage officer or call me. Yeah. I'm going to be a realtor. You're saying, Hey, here's what to look for when you're buying a home. Here's how your payment works. Here's how much money you're going to need. Here's the types of loans available to you. That information builds trust with the consumer who then is going to take that and then call you. And if mom also recommended you at the same time, then that just doubly puts you in a spot of authority in that situation. Would you agree? Huge, huge. I totally agree. Um, I think as I've been doing these interviews, um, <clears throat> and one thing that my mom, I, I showed her one of the recent interviews that I did with uh, Dave Savage, she was like, Ali, it was so interesting because um, she didn't really realize this till I told her, like, loan officers that don't have a social presence, like, they may not be getting traction right now. Um, and I know Greg and I have, have talked about this. It takes like 100 posts before you maybe see something yeah. that is going to generate traction. Um, but for a borrower or a prospective borrower, we're going to go to social media to see if they're credible, if they have content, because if they don't have social media, no shot, they're getting our business, um, which sounds not, sorry, maybe they'll get, I don't mean to be very pessimistic, but I'm just saying like, as a consumer, like for instance, today I'm going to 
a concert tonight and we're going to get dinner. So my girlfriends and I before at like 6.30 and I'm, I'm on my phone um, trying to figure out where I want to eat. I go to TikTok, restaurants in East Nashville around this arena, five different restaurants. I do research. I look at their Instagram, look at their TikTok, look at their Yelp. I see where I want to eat. I don't make a single phone call, but I, they get my business because of what their presence is on social media. Right. Um, do you have validation mom, online for what they do? Right. And my mom might have turned to Google. I, I don't know what she would do, but um, Yelp. Maybe, also maybe like text someone, hey, where should we eat? Yeah. I, I want to see the vibe. I want to see what it looks like on TikTok. Like you said, you know, I want to see a video demonstration of whatever you're Googling through TikTok. You know, I want to see what the place looks like. I want to see people they've worked with from a loan officer perspective. You know, some suggestions I would have for loan officers is sharing success. Yes, TikTok is the new Google. Sharing success stories, you know, having um, a recent client get on a video with you like this. Hey, what do you like? What was surprising? What was the hardest thing for you to like wrap your head around as a first time home buyer? Um, that content's great. Posting Instagram stories. I think this is very underrated. Post an Instagram story with a question in it. Um, whether it's like, hey, um, what's your, I, I think I shared this yesterday with someone, you know, um, post and say, which is your ideal home, like, uh, vibe. I said the mm -hmm. word vibe. Um, and I put, and I would suggest putting a couple different images that may not get you business right away, but it's getting the borrower thinking, Ooh, I love the way that looks. Let me screenshot this. Let me save it. Oh, I want to talk to a realtor about this. Oh, look at this house. Um, and it's getting engagement. So you're seeing followers engage with your content. Um, and I know that went on a total spiral. No, but, no. So you think Instagram stories is a good place? What What is it about stories specifically that you think with with uh, with your generation as opposed to, you know, I, again, I'm an old guy getting on Instagram. I will get on there from time <laughs> to time. But primarily, if I'm on Instagram, I'm posting stuff or I'm trying to interact a little bit with other people that I realtors and stuff that I work with. But, um, you know, I don't think about stories much because I don't use stories. I don't use the platform as like a general browser, I guess you would call it. So I do reels, you know, and those yeah. bleed over into your, into your posts that naturally you can feed them over to, but I never really dive into stories. What is it about stories that you think is, is the biggest, uh, has such an impact? Yeah. So I think, first of all, I love that you're doing post and reels too, because that's keeping consistent. Like I said, when a borrower looks you up, they're going to see you're really reliable. You have great content. So keep that up. But two, I think Instagram stories is a great way to see who is viewing your stuff but they may not necessarily interact. So for instance, the girl that just sent me those two reels back to back and was like, hey, what about this? Do you think the housing market's crashing? She didn't comment or like those videos herself, but right. she sent them to me. So she follows those people and she's viewing their things. So you're seeing who's viewing it. So it's a little bit of intel then. You, you can see who's who's. You who's can see it's a little it. bit curious and it's okay. not like they want to be poached with like inbounds, like, hey, right. let's talk about buying a home. Right. Um, but it's more so like, Hey, if they interact so back, like you kind of have, I feel like stories is a good way. Like the amount of times I'm on, like, I'll be eating my lunch, just clicking through stories. Um, it's really quick. Like if you're running downstairs, you know, I'm in the elevator clicking through stories. And if people put a survey up, I'll, I'll respond to it. You know, sure. I'm not One click. Yeah. like, they're like, Hey, which house do you like better? Ooh. And you actually have an opinion. Right. Um, so I think that that's a really big way to get interaction on your content and see who is opinionated about the home buying process is like posting different things in a home, whether it's from a realtor perspective. But I also encourage loan officers to do that because mm -hmm. you're the finance behind the home. I had one interview where he was like, I realized the loan officer had the key to how I was going to afford this house. So while the realtor can show it to me and talk about how great it would be, the loan officer was the only reason I was going to be able to afford it and talk through like the actual living in the house and how month to month it was going to work. Yeah. Um, so I think loan officers and realtors can both utilize social media to engage borrowers because the financing of a home is so important, but it's not necessarily the sexiest part of the home. Well, it's not um, sexy I, until you have to do it. And then you yeah. want to know everything there is to know about it. Yeah. And so I think, um, but highlighting the home itself and just the empathy and the emotional connection within a borrower when it comes to buying a home, loan officers, I think, can still do that without feeling like they're the realtor. Right. Um, I think engaging conversations, hey, what do you think about this home? You know, my interview last week was with a 24-year-old who bought a home here. 
in Nashville and she is redoing the, uh, the rental property attached to her home. Mm -hmm. And I have just loved engaging with her content because it's like, should I leave my cabinets on or off? You know, and it's just like the design aspect, especially with single women home buyers. I think that that will be a huge one, you know, Instagram stories showcasing the like paint the picture of owning a home. Right. Um, and Instagram stories, you know, they don't feel like they have to like it, but they're still viewing it and you know, they still saw it. So if you were talking to um, a realtor or a lender that has, hasn't really engaged or gotten involved much with social media period, what, you know, cause it, it can seem overwhelming, right? Because when they go and, and see your stuff and see, man, she's on there every day and she's interviewing all these people and, and then they'll see, you know, cause it's the 80, 20 rule, just like anything else, right? You go on Instagram or you go on TikTok, and you're going to see, you know, 80% of the content from the same 20% of the people that are doing it on a regular basis. So it can seem like, well, I'm never going to be able to put a dent into that, right? Because if I just make my one video, nobody's going to care. So what would you say to somebody that had that mentality? And then where would they like, what's the easiest place to start? Just say, Hey, just do this or just try this. What would you suggest? Um, so when it comes to really getting started on socials, I think, like I mentioned earlier, hundred videos before you tell me you can't okay. post a hundred things and then tell me, Hey, this isn't working, but it really is a long game, social media and getting started. Take it from me. I'm a 24 year old in the mortgage industry. Everyone already has an opinion about me being in the conference scene. So to jump on social media and start talking about like my generation, how I'm going to add value. I was really nervous, but I was like, you know what? My biggest regret is going to be not, not trying. And so that's what I tell any loan officers that are DMing me. Hey, where do I start? I'm like, honestly, just jump on there. If they don't like it, screw them. Yeah. Um, like that's just my thing. It's like, well, you but know I would it? say how often have you even really gotten negative responses? Because I mean, I've been doing it for a little while now and I don't get a ton of traction all the time everywhere, but I mean, very rarely does anybody ever have anything negative to say, at least in my experience. Yeah. And I think especially from a loan officer perspective, you can repurpose content. So really just start um, and get a ring light, 20 bucks, get it. Um, it'll make you feel better about yourself. Um, I like TikTok because I like the the way that you can edit the videos. It's really user friendly. And um, if anyone has any questions about that, reach out to me. I would happily talk about how to use TikTok from a editing point of view, uh, because I know my mom is like, Ali, this is way over my head, uh, but it's really not that hard. TikTok. How do we use TikTok? Uh, <laughs> so I would just create a video, whether it's on your camera roll, it's on your Instagram, on TikTok, uh, just create a video talking genuinely. And one person that I, I want to highlight, um, he, I don't, I don't even know who he is with, but this gentleman reached out to me when I started doing my video content he's like, Hey, I want to reach Shinzi borrowers. I'm going to get on TikTok. I'm like, do it. Um, and so he followed me. He was one of the first loan officers to actually engage in my content and like take a call to action. And so I followed him. And, um, I don't know, maybe he's late forties, early fifties, but he's not a 20 year old who's like so confident in social media. And he, he had said that to me before and he was like, I don't really know where to start. And I'm like, just post a video about what you want to help borrowers do. Hey, I want to help you get into your first home. You know, here's some big misconceptions. If this is you reach out to me, he's getting like 900 to like 1200 views per post. Wow. And amazing. he's getting like 18 comments. And while they may not always be the most optimistic, I will say some of the comments are like, I can't afford a home. Like ugh, the government's working against me, but it's, it's an inbound. You can respond yeah. to it and be like, Hey, yeah. let's talk about it. Here's my number. Give me a call. Yeah. Um, but the fact that he is an individual who is not social media savvy and had told me about him was like, I just want to try Bravo to him. And the fact that he's getting 900,000 views per video, that means people are looking up mortgages on TikTok. Right. That means that my hashtag get to know Gen Z is getting 300 views, but hashtag mortgage is getting a thousand views. Yeah. So the loan officers that aren't embracing video content, TikTok, Instagram reels, um, it may be really scary, but it's going to be even scarier in 10 years when that's what you had to have in order that's to have a portfolio to gain business with Gen Z borrowers. Yeah. We're already behind the curve if you're not doing it, unfortunately. I mean, I even feel like I've been doing it now for about a, you know, not quite a year yet, but but on a regular basis, at least. And I feel like I'm way behind the curve, even just getting into it. So, so, you know, I can imagine what it's going to be like in five or 10 years when the vast majority of information that people consume comes from these type of platforms. And if you're not represented there and, and oh, by the way, with 
you know, uh, blockchain and Web3 and all the stuff that's coming down the pipe that direction, too. There's a whole other realm of 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 the world that we're not even familiar with yet that's going to start having an impact as well. Um, I'm curious. So in your conversations with, you know, that you have because you have your what is it? The conversations on Friday with the Gen Z? Yeah, it's Get to Know Gen Z Friday. All my friends, all my friends in Nashville know Ali can't talk. It's Get to Know Gen Z Friday. <laughs> So when you're talking to those Gen Zers on Fridays, what are you finding as a first time home buyer is the biggest concern that they're having? Like, what is their, what's the, what's the main thing that keeps coming up over and over again, as far as, you know, what they're trying to either find out or what they're concerned about when it comes to buying a house? Um, so I think that can be answered two ways. I think really the biggest obstacle that I'm seeing is the education point. Okay. But really what they're struggling with, they've acknowledged they want to buy a home. Um, and all Gen Zers make up 16%. Sorry, I want to read it just so I make yeah, yeah. sure. It says Gen Zers make up 16% of all originations in the U.S. And 81% of them open a new credit card in Q4 of 2022. Everyone should focus on their social media strategy, which I would very much agree, Martin. Agreed, Martin. Thanks for joining. Um, completely agree with that, I think. Um education, especially around opening credit cards is not always discussed. Yep. Um, you walk into any mall and they're like, Hey, you want to open a credit card? 20% off. Sign me up. Sign me uh, up. 20%. You know, yeah. Let's do this. So, uh, great point. But, uh, from a obstacle point of view, you know, they've acknowledged, Hey, I want to buy a home. It's the prices, which isn't great. Um, well, but I will say I've sat through all these conferences since I joined in June, which is a really hard time to join. Um, and everyone is like interest rates. Uh, nobody's talking about interest rates in my, my inner circle and in my peer group and in my interviews, they're talking about home prices. Uh, the single women borrowers are talking about safety security yep. as a, you know, I can afford a $400,000 house. It's not in the safest part of town, um, in Nashville, at least, you know, South Florida. And I, um, just think that a lot of the, uh, the conversations are around, you know, the financial obligations behind it. But also, um, I would encourage loan officers have a conversation around it. Yeah. Uh, one funny thing, and I, I don't want a ton of inbounds from this, but um, I have not been approached by a single loan officer in my journey to homeownership. So I, my lease ends in October. And this is me just saying, Blake and I, Blake, my colleague, he's 25. He also wants to buy a home at the end of the year no loan officers have reached out to us. And I'm not saying reach out to me now. I'm not saying that. You're going to get into David Alley, especially. I will, I will figure it out. My mom is in the business. I will have a great person to talk to. But we have a branch in Nashville, by the way, if you need to talk to somebody. Okay, great. Um, but <clears throat> really the point of me saying that is if I'm not getting reached out to, who is? Yeah. Um, if I am out here saying I want to buy a home in October and I know that's far away, people should be trying to build a relationship with me right now. Right. Um, don't do it. I've, I've already had this conversation before. I will, I will figure it out. <clears throat> but if they aren't reaching out to me, who are they reaching out to? You know, right. um, just to say, I, and I'm not saying DM everyone that interacts with your content, but posting stories, who responds to your stories, posting a question on your story. That is huge. And that is something that I think Gen Z borrowers will interact with. I don't know. I can see you looking to the side. Do you under, do you know what I'm talking about when you say post a question? Yeah. Yeah. You're just asking for interaction is what you're looking for. So whatever, whatever type of question you can put up there, the idea, I mean, this was, I think this is a, that's a pretty, um, as, as old school as you can get in social media of the, you know, if you, if you go talk to the coaches, right. And the ones that say, Hey, here's how you do social media. One of the very first things they'll ask you to do, it doesn't matter your industry, it doesn't matter what you're doing is to say, you know, what's your favorite car or, you know, th th they just want people to interact yeah. with the post, right? So that when you're asking a question, you're looking for interaction. That's the goal. Yes. And so, but through Instagram stories, if you build a brand around mortgage, you want to talk about financing a home, post an Instagram story with a fill in the blank. Hey, what's your biggest obstacle in home ownership? People who may not necessarily want to be hit up on the phone. I know Greg and I have talked, you know, it's really important. Gen Z does not love phone calls. It's more email, text message, virtual. Yes, um, I've discovered that myself. Yes. Um, by the way, on that too, I had a friend of mine who's an insurance guy, old guy like myself. He was getting text messages from one of our borrowers that we were working with together at like, you know, 11 o'clock at night or five in the morning or whatever. I was like, hang on. 
they don't expect you to respond right then. They're just no. in the middle of doing something like, oh, I need to send this message. Yeah. So they send it and then you can respond whenever. We're used to like if someone texts me like, oh, I got to get right, got to get with them right away, you know, but that's not that at least my experience, that's not what y'all are looking for. Well, and I think that I've seen kind of the opposite being in this business as a 24 year old, you know, that's how my mentality is. You know, when it's, when I see it on my phone, I'm like, oh, I'm going to respond right now. Yeah. If someone doesn't respond to me for 48 hours, fine. I don't take offense to it. But like my mom would be like, oh my gosh, they didn't get back to me. Well, 48 hours is probably a little extreme, but at least, you know. But I I think that like, if I'm like trying to like, like for instance, if I'm trying to schedule a meeting for next week and I'm like, hey, how does this time work? If you respond Saturday morning at 8 a.m., Okay, that works for me. I mean, yeah. I might respond and say, "Hey, the time slot's been filled," right, right. but I'm not going to take offense to it. Yeah. Um, and I also think that as a consumer, if a borrower takes a little bit longer to respond, 48 hours is a lot as a consumer. Uh, but yes. within the next like like 12 hours, if they text you at 11 p.m., text them back by like 2 p.m. the next day. Yeah. Fine. fine. Um, but yeah, so I, I do think that. There will be a, a difference, you know, as we are moving through this virtualization age. But I also think our generation has expectations that we're not there with millennials. Okay. Um, such as I was talking to Kristen this morning. I went to the grocery store. They were out of my dog's dog food. I don't want to change his dog food. So Amazon's going to deliver it tomorrow. Right. Um, we have those expectations. And I, I don't know how our industry will react as, as we get more innovative and automated. But um, I think as Gen Z moves into that home ownership process, I had one interview where their title agent um, took too long and, and my friend lost his home. Titles, and my favorite. <laughs> do you, like, I, as I've been in the industry, I've heard that there's a lot of timeliness that is involved and sometimes things take longer than usual. I am going to be very interested to see how that evolves as our generation moves into these expectations within the home buying process. Well, see, part of the problem is, and this has been, this has been a mortgage industry issue for a long time is, you know, and I, I, bark about this all the time where someone says, you know, your file, like if you're, if you're a borrower and you're going through the process and you pick up the phone and you call the loan officer, A, if you don't call them during banking hours, you're probably not going to get them, which is ridiculous. And then the second thing is, is that when you ask the question, you know, I haven't heard anything a while or what's going on. The answer a lot of times is like, oh, it's been an underwriting, you know, the underwriter, oh, the underwriter, you know, this is just one example, underwriter, underwriter. Well, the reality is in our world that it takes when an underwriter picks up a file, okay, to review it. It might take them three hours, maybe, you know, three or four hours, and especially these days, maybe even less because there's so many things that are automated. Um, but now this, the process of going through underwriting could take 24 to 48 hours, depending on what the company's expectation is on once a file is submitted to underwriting, how long it takes. But if someone's telling you that your underwriters or that your file has been in underwriting for a week, they're just not telling you the whole story yeah, because there's something else that's going on. And I think, you know, and this is every consumer, this just isn't Gen Z. They, they just want to be told the truth. Like, just tell yeah, me the truth. Yes. Just don't let me feel like you're lying to me. Like when you tell me something, it may be bad news. It might be something I don't want to hear, but I need to know. And the bigger issue really comes around a lot of times with loan officers in some cases is that because, you know, everybody kind of knows their little section of the river, let's call it. Like, I know this part, but I don't know this part that well. And nobody likes to feel stupid. And so what ends up happening is people will make mistakes. They will do something that they could have caught in the beginning, but they didn't know, or they made a mistake or whatever the case may be. And instead of owning it and just saying, you know what, I missed this, or yeah, this was something that we weren't ready for, or whatever the case may be. They're just trying to spin every example and every reason why it's not their fault and the underwriter and title, and it's everybody else's issue. And Consumers just get sick of that because they're just like, look, whatever happened, whatever's going on, I need to know. Because at that point, yeah. if they've got their loan with you, they're pretty much pot committed. Like we're, we're in this thing together. So let's get it across the finish line. Just be honest with me. I think transparency will be a huge expectation. And like you said, it's with every bar. We're not just Gen Z. Um, but I always like to use this uh, pizza analogy that I, I was <clears throat> reading about. Uh, National Mortgage News published something about Gen Z borrowers. And I was reading it. And our generation, this was just a great example, like the dolphins, very random. But I, uh, like when I go to order pizza, I expect to have the ability to track the driver through my app. Um, okay. Not having that, not as not as um, attractive to me as a consumer. I don't expect so, that at all. That makes it, okay. That makes, that and makes and it's just <clears throat> one thing that it's like, oh, like I, I expect to be able to track, you know, where my delivery driver is, what time it's going to be here. And if it's not, then I expect to get compensated, you know, that's just kind of, and I was reading about it. And I was like, 
I didn't even think about that, but that's so true. That's my expectations as a borrower, yeah. as a consumer. Yeah. Um, so that's another thing that I'm just like trying to deep dive in my interviews. Like, what are we going to change when it comes to, you know, the mortgage process? What are we thinking, you know? Um, but yeah, I think to backtrack completely, the biggest obstacle would be home, like home prices and just the, uh, the beast that seems to be home ownership um, and news headlines. I think that our industry is trying so hard to break down the barriers to yeah. like educate. <clears throat> but when big TikToks are going viral about Blackfin buying 13, I don't remember, 13 billion of real estate, as a consumer, all my friends are like, Ali, what does this mean? And I'm like, I'm going to figure it out. But I, I, I like, you know, because it's like intimidating. Well, ask your mom because the at Chase just for 2023, they had set aside, they had allocated, I think it was $26.8 billion for, for only for single family residents, residential purchases that they were going to turn into lease. Rent out? Yes. So, so here's, here's the reality of it. And this is something that whenever I do content, I do content about this all the time. And, and it gets, it, it gets, you know, it, it sounds doom and gloom and you hate to be the bearer of bad news. And, you know, but the idea, cause there's two things that are happening right now on online. You see people that are, you know, clickbaiters that are showing houses on fire and, you know, the crash is coming and all this stuff's about to happen. And I think you could maybe make that argument to some extent in commercial real estate for a many, many reasons that we don't have to get into, but because there's a lot of issues that are happening there with regional banks and with um, people working from home and companies downsizing and all that stuff. Right. So, but push that aside and let's just look at home ownership and the inventory issue has been there since before the pandemic, even before the pandemic, we were sitting at three to four months worth of inventory, which was enough. But in a healthy market, you need somewhere between five to six months of inventory for it to be a balanced buyers and sellers market, right? Right. So when there's no inventory and home prices continue to go up, and the issue is, is that right now is that there's no inventory on the horizon because builders, A, you know, I, I think there's some profit stuff going on there, but ultimately they still have issues getting the supply chain, getting all their equipment in. They're finding issues with labor and they're finding issues with land and getting land at a relatively inexpensive price to go in and put these properties on. Right. Yeah. And so you're not having a bunch of new homes being built. People are not foreclosing this whole idea that the foreclosures are about to start. It's like 0.04% rate of foreclosure, which is like the lowest in history. Yeah. It's not happening because people have 60, 80, hundred thousand dollars worth of equity in their home. They're not going to foreclose. Okay. So the only thing that's going to cause any kind of massive shift in inventory in the market would be massive job losses. So if there was a significant recession and if there was a ton of layoffs, you could see, but even then you're talking about taking the foreclosure rate and bumping it up to maybe 1%, which is just like yeah. normal. So the bottom line is, is that there is no inventory on the horizon. So that just means that home prices are going to keep going up. And the issue becomes even exacerbated because a, the debt ceiling crisis was just kind of more or less fixed essentially. And, or at least for the time being. And so interest rates have started to trend back down a little bit. They were above 7% just within the last couple of weeks because of all that. And now they're trending back in the other direction. And then if we do get into a recession, which many people are predicting, that's where we're headed, especially for Q3 and Q4 of this year, then you're going to see rates come down even further. And when that happens, then all the people that have been sitting on the sidelines that have been worried about rates, they're all going to come back into the market and try to buy homes. So now your demand just goes up and the supply the inventory stays the same though. It stays the same. So prices keep going up. So it's it's like a broken record thing where you keep saying, or we keep saying in the industry, the best time to buy a home is right now because it's just going to get more and more expensive. It's not going to get cheaper unless there's some black swan catastrophe that we're just nobody's seeing coming or happening. I don't see where that happens. And there's a reason why the Black Rocks and the Chases and the Blackstones of the world are buying up all of this real estate, okay? If the billionaires and the trillionaires are buying up real estate, there's a reason. So maybe you should be paying attention Black to what they're doing. Not Blackfin. I said Blackfin earlier. Blackstone. Yeah, it's okay. It's, there's so many. Look, I'm sure there's an offshoot of Blackfin Dude, somewhere. I've, too, because, yeah. I've been sent so many TikToks about just that idea that I've, and then I was reading a Blackfin article earlier. So that's where I got. Um, oh, no, it's totally fine. But, but, but that's yes. what's happening. That's what's so going on. I'm going to share on. this with my friend who sent me that article because she, she captioned it. She's like, Ali, is the market going to crash? I'm like, I mean, we've been asking that for months. I went no, to. Prices NBA are up. IMD. So there, there were two things that were um, that ran recently. The Case Shiller, <laughs> which is like 
it's kind of an all-encompassing uh, statistical model that kind of takes home prices. And then there's FHFA, and FHFA is, is like the governing body for conventional loans, essentially. Right. And so Kay Schiller shows that home prices are down 2.3% from their peak, from their okay. peak last June. That's the highest the home prices have been. They're down 2.3. And this is national averages, right? Because the West Coast is suffering like crazy, but Tennessee and Texas and Florida and Arizona, they're booming, right? So yeah. overall, that's down. Well, then if you take FHFA's numbers, what FHA, FHFA does is they factor out cash purchases because if you're paying cash for a home, it's very likely that you're getting a discount because it's a short close. You know, your maybe homes have been sitting there for a little bit. You're an investor. There's there are many reasons why often if the house is listed for four hundred thousand and you're a cash buyer, you're getting it for three seventy five. Okay, that's just right. kind of how it works. But FHFA takes those out of the equation and says, okay, just for conforming conventional FHA loans, normal loans, but no cash, home prices are actually up 0.7% for those purchases. Okay. Wow. From their peak, this is their peak in 2022. So with yeah. all of the media about the crash coming and, and the rates being at 8%, which they were, it has had little to no effect other than it has slowed the growth. That's it. But as soon as the demand comes back when rates get a little bit more under control or reasonable if they do, which I think they will, then you're going to see the demand shoot through the roof again and prices are going to go up. Well, and I, in my conversation with Dave Savage last week, he showcased um, just the population size that's going to be moving into, um, you know, the home buying process very soon as first time home buyers. There's going to be a huge opportunity within the next five to 10 years. Excuse me, I'm getting over a cold. Um, but I, I think that it's very optimistic and especially like it's also just breaking down like what did she mean by market crash? Like does she understand that that's like a holistic view of like the economy? Um, and it, she was just like sending me these TikToks or Instagram reels and was like, what does this mean? And so it's just taking the time like as a loan officer, as a realtor, I think getting coffee, like you mentioned earlier, that will be a win. Like, hey, let's grab coffee. Let's talk about it. Like I'm not going to try to sell you the virtual environment might play a little bit of a twist on that, but that's a whole nother beast in itself. But I think just having a genuine conversation with borrowers that are seeing this and freaking out, um, it will be a great way to build trust. And after conversations with Kristen and analyzing some other data, trust is going to be a huge way to win business with Gen right. Z. So how big of a role does technology play? I mean, obviously when I say technology, I mean, every, our whole life, we carry around this thing with us on our, yeah. the, the, they sent rockets to NASA with less or to the moon with less than this, but so our whole world is technology, but when it comes to the process of, of a younger buyer uh, that's looking to purchase a home, what role does social media technology, their phone, their, their sphere, how, how does all that play a role in their decision process? And when does that start? Does it, the decision process start a year ahead of time? Does it start three months? I mean, regardless of what it should do, what do you see as the trend of what's actually happening? Great question. So I've had this this question. I've talked with um, a couple different first time home buyers, and I've asked this. So it looks like the the timeline is about two years. And so, oh. like I've told you, long game. You know, I can't sit here and say I can help you get a Gen Z borrower tomorrow because that's not how how they're buying. That's not how we are researching. Right. Um, I started probably this research last June when I realized I was getting into the mortgage industry. But um, <clears throat> and my goal is to own a home by the end of the year. So, but my friend who I re, uh, interviewed last week, she was talking about, um, you know, she did about two years of research. She decided she wanted to buy a home, moved to Nashville, was d living in different areas of town, figuring out where she wanted to live. She was renting, but she wanted to buy. Um, <clears throat> and so it, it's about two years. My, the first interview that I did was with a gentleman that said he put two years of research in. He was on, um, Google, TikToks, how we found out about an FHA loan, um, Instagram. He was doing a lot of independent research. And then uh, Kristen and I were talking about this earlier. You know, she was talking about how when she bought a home, all of a sudden it was a month in and she was like, wait a minute, we're actually doing this. Like this was a really quick process Right. Um, <clears throat> versus me. I'm going to have an expectation that it better be really freaking quick because <laughs> I've been researching this for months. I've been trying to find the perfect house. <clears throat> I understand it's an emotional decision, but my expectation is it's going to be quick Yeah, because we're doing a ton of research. My friend from last week, 
she'd been listening to podcasts on her walk mm-hmm. on her walks for months about first time home buyers tricks you know what to look out for during like the home buying process um so i really think that one differentiation between gen z borrowers and maybe millennials would be the research process we are doing it very silently the girl who just sent me all the instagram stuff she's looking at buying a home the content she's interacting with they have no idea right but all of a sudden they're, not liking commenting. they're just flipping through it and seeing it yeah. yeah but they're also thinking about it right <laughs> so i think it will be a really long game like you and i've said social media will be a long game but I, i'd average about like 18 24 months for like the research process independently but when we approach a loan officer, a realtor, and we find a house that we love, the expectation yeah, is going to be high. It's going to happen. You want it to happen quickly at that point. You know, it's funny that you say that because um, in my uh, social media journey that I've had for the last eight or 12 months, um, I've noticed that <clears throat> whether it be because I don't like we talked about before you came on or before we started this, like, you know, I don't really get wrapped up in likes and comments and views. Right. Like it's you see it. It's human nature. You're going to look, oh, that's okay. This one's doing better than the other. But it's not something I lose sleep over at all. But what I have noticed is just in my everyday life now, because I post just about every single day, one something that I'll go out and whether we're at a baseball tournament with my son or we're at a volleyball tournament with my daughter or we're at the PTA meeting or wherever, whatever we're doing, somebody will say something to me. They'll say, hey, I saw that thing that you did the other day. I thought that was funny. Or, you know, I had a question about that. You know, can you answer this for me? And it's really kind of what, what's funny is my wife and daughter and kids, they hate it, you know, because <laughs> they're like, you know, he's, he's walking around the driveway. We had a we had a realtor that lived across the street from us. I didn't know. And I have a circle driveway in my we have about three acres and I'm, I'm doing laps in my driveway in the morning and hold my camera up and talking to it and doing the whole thing. And uh, she was doing a con- my wife's a realtor, too. And so she was doing a contract with this. And she's like do you live across the street, you know, in the, in that house with the gate? And she's like, yeah. She goes, is your husband, is he always the one out there walking around in circles? In the <laughs> she's like, yes, that's him. Thank you. For, you know, that. So, but it is funny that just because don't take for granted that just because you're not seeing the direct result from your content that shows up in likes and comments and shares and all that kind of stuff that we've been told for so long are the metrics there's such a silent majority of people out there that are just scrolling and they see your stuff all the time. And it really, I've, I've just started to experience that a little bit in just the short amount of time that I've been doing it. Yeah. Well, this morning I was looking through your LinkedIn to kind of figure out what you typically talk about and make sure we are on the same page. Um, and I looked through probably eight or nine year videos. I didn't like any of them. I will go back and do that if you would like, but <laughs> it was just like, I was, I was looking at the content. I was seeing who you had on. Um, but I, it's also a point to say, you know, my mom gets these calls from people. She's been in the industry for 25 years and they're like, oh my gosh, I love what Allie's doing. And I'm like, oh, who was it? Cause I get like probably about 85, 90 likes per post. And she's like, oh, it was so-and-so. And I'm like, well, they didn't like it. And she's like, <laughs> I'm like, oh, let me see if they liked it. And I'm like, mom, they didn't like it. And she's like, I don't know what to say. And so it's like people see stuff and yes. they, they like it. Maybe they don't like it. I don't know. But um, it's not, and I, I will stand by this quote, a hundred posts until you see some type of traction, but also don't focus on the traction. Focus on, hey, this is fun. I like interviewing people. I like yes. doing these things because this is adding value to my life. Yes. And once you focus, it's like, can't make anyone else happy to make yourself happy. And so my biggest advice for someone wanting to get started on social media, 70, 30, 10, 70 about work, 30, uh, or 70 about like success stories, stuff at work, top of mind, industry, knowledge, acronyms, whatever. Um, 10% or 30% personal. Post your favorite story, post your workout plan, do your hot yoga. People want to know you and like you as a person, especially a salesperson that they want to do business with. Yeah. 10, product. Hey, let's talk about product. The 70 can be a wide array of mortgage things. Right. It does not just have to be, let's talk about financing your home. It could literally be oh look at this house look at this interior design you know look at it it doesn't have it's to industry be related product or fha yeah. or right. you know um so 70 30 10 that's what i go by and that's what um you know i'm hoping to incorporate onto my professional instagram that i just started and i'm working on stuff in the background to start slowly launching stuff on there but um that's what i've been telling my mom is she's been like what should i be posting i'm like 70 work 30 personal and 10 product 
Well, I think it's hard again for people to get started that don't do it because if you ask people, you know, well, what do you spend your time on? There's still 70 year olds spend all their time on Facebook. I mean, they're using social media. They're not, not using social media. They mm -hmm. are, everybody is. So then you have to realize, okay, well, what am I, what am I, what do I like to do? You know, and that's what I always tell agents that we work with that are uncomfortable doing, because I'll get questions about it from time to time because they see the stuff that I do. And, and I'll say, well, what do you like to do? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, what are you passionate about? Like, what do you enjoy? Well, you know, I like walking my dog or I like, you know, going to the farmer's market or whatever. I'm like, okay, well then talk about that. Like talk about something that you enjoy doing that you have a passion for because that passion comes across, right? That comes across in your content to see that you're a genuine, authentic person, that you're not trying to sell them something. Just, just do, but you got to do something. You got to do one or you got to do something. So like the whole reason I even started doing this podcast stuff, because like, if you go back and watch like my first five, I'm sitting in a weird room on a chair with somebody and it's like echoey and there's no mic and you know, I'm just figuring it out. Like, I'm like, yeah. I like to talk to people. I enjoy it. Like I enjoy having conversations like this, talk and shop. You put me in a networking meeting with 25 people that want to talk about the weather and recipes and I am out, like not what I want to do. But you put me in a room with one person that I find to be intelligent that I can have a conversation with about a particular topic, I will talk all day long. And so I took the idea of that with the podcast genre that already existed. And then I said, okay, well, I'll just have an hour long conversation with people about topics related to real estate. And then I'll try to see if I can figure out how to take that content and slice it up and put it other places. But I don't have to put a whole lot of effort into coming up with some funny bit that I'm going to do, which takes a lot of production value and a lot of effort and editing. I'm just having a talk, posting it places and just see how it works out. And yeah. I just, recommend that when people are starting their social media journey to just find something that you enjoy that's easy that you're going to do and i promise you you will do it and you'll start to slowly you know build that build that catalog of content 100 i completely agree so um okay so we're we're in an hour it went by really really quick yeah. so i want to be um you know conscious of your time but before we go is there anything that you would want to say about you know just in general when you're talking to realtors and mortgage professionals about hey if you're going to reach the gen z market here's the things you need to focus on and here's what you need to do going forward 100 percent. so I think like we talked about social media, huge. If you are not on it, it will not be the only thing that you have to do. Thank you, Martin, for your feedback. You got fans. Um, and thank you for staying on. Uh, but so basically really <clears throat> my call to action for anyone listening, anyone who wants to reach Gen Z borrowers, be on social media. If you're not, it's going to be a differentiator. People who are on it will, will gain business over people who are not. Um, two, be consistent when you're posting three, be very genuine about the borrower first. And I know that that's with any generation. I know I've talked to my mom, but like every interview I've done, people in my generation will see through, you know, the, um, coffee is for closers sale. Um, great movie. My mom made me watch it, but, uh, it, people in my generation are seen through and the worst part is they're ghosting those people. Yeah. who are coming across in genuine. Yeah. So the people that are like, boom, 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 in their DMs, hey, let's talk about buying a home, don't respond, boom, boom, boom. We respect the approach, but it's so much more likely to be ghosted. Um, a slow approach, genuine curiosity about the borrower will win business with Gen Z, um, but really just wanting to talk about it. And, and like, for instance, my one guy friend who is working on buying a second home, he was like, if someone just approached me and was like, Hey, do you want to know how much of a home you can afford? That is a great entry question. If someone asked that to me, I'd be like, honestly, yeah. I wouldn't think that they were going to hard close me. I would just be like, okay, yeah, let's meet. Like, let, let's talk about it. And let me tell you what, like, my timeline is. And there's a massive but, disconnect there, too, because between what people want to purchase and what they want their payment to be. It's always a big, a big gap there. Yeah, but, like, knowing how much you can afford, you know, I will get on my couch at night. I'll be watching uh nba finals and i'll be like just on my laptop researching things and if i wanted to look up you know what how much of a home i can afford you know if a loan officer had told me numbers if i'm on zillow i can like, oh i can afford this this is cool or you know that's a little bit outside my price range where can i save per month it just gets thoughts provoked and like that's going to be my pointed source of financial reliability moving forward in the process versus someone that's like hey uh, let's talk about buying a home you know, it's just, it's more genuine. Yeah. 
Well, I think, I think what you're doing is great. And I think that, you know, it's, People look at and see what you do and go, oh, you know, she's talking this and she's new in the industry. What does she know? But it takes a lot of, you know, and I don't like, don't get me wrong. You're not like a police officer fire, but it's, it's, it's courage. It takes courage to put yourself out there to, to talk to, to, you know, in a way, present yourself as a knowledge center for a particular topic, especially because again, our industry is typically a little older. And so anytime new faces come in, this is what Kristen's been able to do um, and really kind of shed light on the next generation of buyers. I think it's a valuable resource and what you're doing and the content that you're putting out and the advice that you're giving and the conversations that you're having with the people of your generation that are all saying, Hey, look, this is what we're looking for. This is what we need. And if you don't want to pay attention to that as a real estate professional, then you are going to miss the boat. And that's just what it's going to be. And like you said, it's a long game. And if you don't start now and start working your way through the process of learning how to do social media and how to promote yourself, then when the time comes where that's the only avenue in which people find you, or at least 90% of them, you're going to be out of the business. And, and that's the unfortunate reality of it, which is why it's so important to get started as soon as you can. 100%. Well, thank you so much for having me, Mike. I am thoroughly impressed by your presence. You're on the air, like phenomenal content. Like I cannot wait to engage with your Instagram, your TikTok, your LinkedIn videos, 10 out of 10. Like I love everything y'all are doing. Well, thank you very much. I really, really appreciate that. So, all right guys, well, thanks everybody that stuck around with us. And if you're watching this online later, if y'all have questions, post them out. We'll definitely um, answer in the comments. So everybody have a great weekend. Enjoy the summer and we will see you next week. Bye guys. Bye.